Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for September 8th. I'm Melissa Davlin. This week, Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News joins us to talk about the Delta variant's impact on K-12 public schools. But first, on Tuesday, the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare announced it had declared crisis standards of care for North Idaho, as mostly unvaccinated patients have overwhelmed hospitals. The declaration affects 10 hospitals from Grangeville to the Canadian border. On Tuesday, Department Director Dave Jepson talked about the implications on health care delivery. Some of you may be wondering, what does this mean for you, particularly if you live in North Idaho? What it means is if you go to the hospital, you should expect a longer wait time. Uh, You may not be seen in a traditional space. In fact, you may be seen uh, in a classroom or a hallway, or you may be sent to a different hospital that has more capacity. Um, The situation across the state is not much better. For all of us, please wear a mask indoors and in outdoor crowded spaces. It's also a secondary tool in addition to vaccination that will help slow the spread, uh, as particularly as we feel this pressure on our hospitals. And then more generally, I would encourage all of us to just be a little more careful. Wear your seatbelt, take medications as prescribed, reconsider high-risk activities that could land you in the hospital, um, as that's where we are in terms of hospital capacity at this point. We'll have more on Thursday. Idaho Reports is airing a half-hour special on the consequences of crisis standards of care, airing at 8 p.m. Thursday in both the Mountain and Pacific time zones on Idaho Public Television. You can also catch it online after it airs at idahoptv.org. On Wednesday, Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News joined me to discuss how the spread of the Delta variant has shaped the beginning of the fall semester for K-12 students in Idaho. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. We're only two or three weeks into the school year for most districts in Idaho. Has it been enough time to really see how things are going so far? Yes, and it's not going very well at all. Um, The bottom line, before I dive into too many numbers here, more kids are contracting coronavirus than we've seen last year, even during that spike in cases last year. And Kids are making up a bigger share of the caseload that we're seeing as, as we're seeing this surge. So just blast through some numbers quickly because they really do tell the story. Last week, the state reported more than 1,200 cases involving kids between 5 and 17 years old, basically your K-12 cohort, right? So 1,200 cases last week. It was 600 cases the previous week. And you go back to mid-July. Granted, that's the middle of summer vacation, but you go back to mid-July, fewer than 100 cases. So you've had a 12-fold increase in just a few weeks. I mean, it is really surging. And and those 1,200 cases, that's more than we saw last fall. And that's a higher percentage of the overall cases. It's, It's definitely changing, and it's definitely trending in the wrong direction. You know, and and to be clear, the vast, vast majority of these kids recover and they recover well, but that's that's not the whole story. There are ripple effects on how this affects school closures and education and whether or not they spread the virus to other members of their family. Um, and, and we'll get into all of that, but, but as these cases are rising, uh, where are the school closures so far? They're a little bit scattered and... You know, there have been just a handful of closures and there have been just a handful of schools that have gone to virtual learning. And really none of the big districts have had to go there yet. But 
as you say, we're only a couple of weeks into the school year, and that's in the Treasure Valley. You know, it's worth noting that most schools in North Idaho are just now opening. I mean, Tuesday was a very eventful day. Uh, you had the you had the news about the crisis standards of care going into effect in North Idaho, and on Tuesday morning, schools opened in the Coeur in the Coeur d'Alene district. So we haven't even seen yet what might happen in those schools in that district. We're very early on. You know, and, and some districts have been really good and really transparent about sharing data you know, throughout the pandemic, right? You know, Boise School District is, is a good example. You can go on there and you can see how many confirmed cases there are school by school, week by week, how many students have had to quarantine, how many you know, students and staff. West Data is another good example. Is that the case throughout the state? It's very consistent. And what we don't have right now this year, year two of the pandemic, where it's affecting schools more acutely, we don't have any kind of uh, a database being collected by the state. The state did put out weekly reports last year on K-12 cases, and the reports weren't very complete. They didn't take in small schools. Uh, part of it was sort of data that health and welfare cobbled together as best they could, looking at what the districts were reporting on their websites, looking at media reports. It was it, it was not scientific, but at least it was something. We don't even have that this year. And right now, health and welfare doesn't really seem to have a plan for any kind of a, a K-12 database. You know, we talked a little bit about how um, cases are rising in that K through 12 age group. Hospitalizations you know, throughout the pandemic, we've seen less than 200 Idaho children hospitalized because of COVID-19. Thank goodness, none of them have died. And, and we hope that remains the case. Um, do we know if some of these children have fully recovered or if, you know, again, a, a small fraction of children, but do we know if there are, have been long-term effects for this small group of children who have uh, had to be hospitalized? I've heard none of that. And you're right. I mean, when you look at the hospitalization numbers and you look at, uh, you know, you look at that relative to hospitalization rates for other age groups, it's definitely low. Now, when health experts talk about the concern that they have about what's happening in the schools, when I talk to somebody like Dr. David Pate, and we've talked about this a couple of times this summer, he and I, his big concern is not kids are going to necessarily die of COVID-19. He thinks that kids by and large, like we've seen for the past you know, 18 months, are gonna come out of this okay in almost every case. He's concerned that the schools are gonna become this, this fulcrum for community spread. And that's really something that we're gonna to try to watch closely as this unfolds. You know, Are we seeing community spread out of the schools affecting adults, affecting parents, affecting grandparents? Well, and, and we also know that you know, Idaho has 11 pediatric ICU beds in the whole entire state. That doesn't tell the whole picture. We know that you know, if, if there's a pediatric patient in North Idaho, they can, they can be transferred in normal times to Spokane, you know, kids in Eastern Idaho can be transferred to Salt Lake city usually, but those hospitals are 
fill up with their own patients and patients who have been transferred elsewhere too. Um, so, so those pressures do exist in the small number of kids who have had to be hospitalized. There are only so many beds for them as well. There's only so many ICU beds and even just, you know, regular bed space, just regular space in hospitals, you know, critical, you know, a crisis standards of care affects everybody. We've heard that, you know, said already, it affects kids. I mean, we're at least here in early September, we're not in flu season yet, but you know, that does sometimes send kids to a hospital. Sports injury can send a kid to a hospital. Well, they're going to go into the same hospital system in North Idaho that is stretched to the max. A hospital anywhere in the state that is already, you know, feeling the strain from COVID-19. You know, it's, yeah, everybody is being affected by this, uh, this shortage of hospital staff and, and hospital space. Well, I, I know as the mom of a toddler, I'm very concerned about um, RSV cases also being on the rise, you know, not COVID related, but again, if there is a crunch on hospital staffing and hospital resources, you know, that's pretty concerning to me if my kid gets sick. And let's talk a little bit more about these other ripple effects too. I can't help but think about how if a child has to quarantine, whether because they're they're COVID positive, whether because they're a close contact, all of that's compounded by this childcare shortage. Um, you know that that's already affecting parents who have to work, and if a child has to stay home for ten days, that's going to make it even more difficult for some families to pay their rent to put food on the table. Absolutely, we're back to the same plight that we were in in the spring of 2020 you know, where parents and caregivers may have to make some very fast decisions about their kid in quarantine or their their kid's school if that school shuts down or goes virtual, as we're starting to see in a few cases around the state. You know, parents who had to adjust and make really difficult decisions, you know, on the fly, may have to make those same decisions 18 months later. I mean, in, in some sense, you know, we're not a whole lot different than where we were when we started out here. It, we were just talking about crisis standards of care. It's been activated pretty much north of Grangeville and public health districts one and two. So, so basically the Pacific time zone in Idaho. How are those districts doing? We know that Coeur d'Alene just started on Tuesday, um, but others have been going for a few days or a few weeks. How many of them have mask mandates or other mitigation efforts? Do we know how those cases are, are showing up? Well, we know that Moscow has a mask requirement in place, but it's a fairly short-term requirement. I think they put it in for a three-week period, and I suppose they can come back after the three weeks and decide whether to keep it or, or rescind it. Uh, that's about the only district north of Grangeville that I know of that... Uh, that has a mask mandate in place. There may be others, but that's the one that I do know of. In, in Eastern Idaho, speaking of mask mandates, there's another debate going on. Tell me what's happening in Victor. Victor is such a fascinating community. I mean, you know, on strictly a personal level, my father-in-law lives there. Um, you know, I spend not as much time in Victor as I'd like to. It's a wonderful community. And it's a very interesting political community because you have, you know, it, it's become a blue community in rural Idaho because it's not that far from Jackson Hole. You have a lot of commuters going from, from Victor to Jackson. So you have the city council put a 
municipal mask mandate in place? Well, there's one school in Victor. It's the elementary school. Almost every other school in the Teton County School District is outside of Victor. It's in Driggs, which is the, the larger community over there, or Tetonia. So the Teton County School District has said, we're not going to go along with the mask mandate as it applies to Victor Elementary School. And they're saying, well, we, we feel like we have jurisdiction over what's happening in the schools. Now, it feels like we've been dealing with this and, and you know covering this story throughout this pandemic, the question of who makes the decision? Is it the city? Is it the school board? Is it the, uh, the school superintendent? Is it the health district? You know, who's making that decision? And, you know, ultimately nobody's completely satisfied with the decision. I mean, you don't make any, everybody happy no matter which way you come down, but you have a little bit of a power struggle in this uh, interesting little community over there. Yeah, it, well, and, and as a side note, Teton County has one of the lowest, cum, or not cumulative, but um, seven-day rolling average, it's in its rates right now. I mean, they don't have the same amount of spread we're seeing elsewhere in the state at this very moment. Um, but this is a really interesting and intense conversation that is going on, not just in Idaho, but nationwide. Who gets to make the decision? Is it the parents who are sending their kids to school every day? Is it the city? Is it the public health district, the county, the school district, the teacher in their individual classrooms? Um, we've seen some states step in and say, you know what, this is going to be a statewide mandate and we're all going to be on the same page. The governor's been resistant to that throughout the pandemic um, because he he knows Idaho pretty well. That's not going to fly in so many of these communities having a state down, a top down statewide mask mandate. But what it leaves you with is a patchwork. And we saw this work last year, so this isn't anything new, but it's even more pronounced to me this school year. And just look at what's happened here in the Treasure Valley. You have the Boise School District went from, in July, you know, pre-Delta, rescinding its mask requirement to early August, Delta starting to take prevalence. And you know, the school board said, well, well we got to come back and put our mask requirement back in place for the school year that started August 16th, I want to say. Well, just to the West, West Ada School District, the largest district in the state, went with a mask policy, that's not a mandate. Parents can opt out and about a third of the kids in this district, you know, a third of the 40,000 kids in the West Ada School District are going to school without masks under the opt out. And you've got the situation, I don't even know how teachers in West Ada are enforcing this mask uh, policy because, you know, you're a high school teacher, you have six classes, you got, you know, maybe 200 kids almost coming into your classes. Are you going to start every class by saying, well, that's an opt-out kid. She's fine. She, she can not, she's fine without a mask. The, you know, student next to her, uh, no, she should be wearing her mask. I mean, what teacher is going to be able to do that? I mean, it's a, it's a really, <laughs> I'm not sure how that policy is working on the ground, but even if it were working on the ground, what you've got are the two largest districts in the state taking a very different approach. And it's still Ada County. You know, it's still the same level of spread that we're seeing. It, it doesn't all of a sudden change when you cross over, you know, five mile road and head west into the West Ada district. I mean, it's still the same outbreak and the same outbreak issues throughout Ada County. 
As you're listening to these school boards discuss how they're going to approach a mask policy and, and, you know, the majority of Idaho school districts have, have made them optional, have left that decision up to the parents. Do you get the sense that the school boards are thinking about the larger conversation about potential community spread, or are they focused on the children and what's happening in the classroom? I wish I had a sense that uh, school officials were looking down the road past this immediate crisis these next few weeks, but I, I don't sense that they are because for one thing, I think there's just so much coming at them at once right now that they're having to deal with that it's really hard to plan ahead. And I'm sorry, I go back to what I saw during the summer when you had media accounts of what was happening with the Delta variant elsewhere in the US on the heels of what had happened in India and what had happened in England it's not like the Delta variant all of a sudden swooped down on Idaho and, and caught Idaho by surprise or should have caught Idaho by surprise. You, you could have seen all of this coming. You could have seen the proliferation of K-12 cases. You could have seen the really heartbreaking situation we've got unfolding in North Idaho. And I didn't get a sense that the education community was planning ahead very much. Now it's summer break. Everybody's kind of taking time off. I get that but I didn't really get a sense of a lot of planning ahead. And I certainly didn't get a sense of planning ahead from the state level. You know, I did a piece in July about the Delta variant and what I was hearing from the state level is, well, we'll wait and see, we'll, you know, we'll see where this is going. Well, <laughs> I think we kind of could have seen where it was going before it got there. So what's going to happen these next few weeks and are people thinking beyond, you know, the next few weeks? I, I don't know. I hope so. We're, we're in a wait and see, we've been in a wait and see mode all summer, but you don't get the sense that people are looking at November, December, January, trying to figure out how that might look, how parents might be affected by potential school closures or quarantine policies. Is, is there any conversation about the future happening right now? Or are we in crisis management mode day by day, week by week? Again, I, I would hope that you know, in a calmer moment, if there is such a thing that uh, school officials are saying, okay, if we get out of these next few weeks, what's it going to look like? You know, what might happen if there's another variant uh, on the heels of this? And what does the science tell us about the likelihood of a variant coming on the heels of Delta that might cause other complications? I, I, I hope that that kind of advanced planning is going on. And I would kind of also hope that some of that, you know, you know, advice and recommendation and, and counsel is coming from the state level where, you know, you know, maybe you've got some, some expertise and you've got some folks who can look at this uh, big picture down the road. I'm not saying that's not happening. I'm just not seeing much evidence of it happening. If and when a vaccine is approved for children younger than 12 years old, how much might that change the conversation? based on what we're seeing with the vaccination rates for junior high school age kids and high school age kids, I don't know if it makes that much of a difference. And I've really been struck by those vaccination numbers, Melissa, because for junior high school kids, it's down in the low twenties statewide and it's lower in parts of the state. I mean, you know, let's face it, you know, central health district, the Ada County you know, numbers are maybe artificially driving up those vaccination rates across all age sectors low 20% in junior high school age, and about 30% in high school age. And that's lower than the vaccination rates for 
you know, folks in their 30s and 40s, the parents. <laughs> so there's a gulf here between parents who have chosen to get the vaccine themselves and have chosen to not get the vaccine for their kids. So I don't know what happens when the vaccine is made available for under 12s. I think you will have, you know, certainly you'll have some parents who are going to be quick to, you know, to jump on that opportunity. Uh, lots of parents are going to be hesitant just based on what we've seen with, uh, with junior high school and high school age kids. You can read Kevin's reporting as well as coverage from the rest of the Idaho Ed News team at IdahoEdNews.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.